0: Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Monday, April the 16th, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day. And uh, Wendy, I have to tell you, I have a little happiness going on right here next to the microphone. If you hear purring occasionally, that's because my cat is sitting here in my lap right next to the microphone. I have no idea how much of it is going to go over the air, but what the heck? A purring cat is a happy cat.
1: How sweet, love the sound of that.
0: It is sweet, it's cute, and and she climbed into my lap literally about two minutes before we started the podcast, so I think she wants to be a part of it. Should I interview her? <laughs> <laughs>
1: you, well, you know, when my friend Keisha was doing her own radio show, um, her kitty cat, Lily, always sat next to her during the show, and oftentimes you would hear Lily meowing, and, and uh, Keisha called her her co-host in consciousness.
0: <laughs> ah, okay, yeah. Well, actually, I've got both of them, and usually it's like one or the other who wants to visit during the podcast. Today, both Harmony and Joy are in here. Joy's in the windows, staring outside and looking at everything that's interesting out there, and Harmony is in my lap purring away, so we have a cat Love afternoon it. going on here. <laughs> 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 so did you have a good weekend?
1: I had a fabulous weekend, followed by a fabulous week off from my day job where I spent most of the time in deep thought, um, just following the energy, which I'll talk about a little bit later. And how was your weekend?
0: It was a good weekend. Actually, it was a little bit of a work weekend because I took the opportunity to uh, take time to do stuff I hadn't been able to get to during the week, which included working on the book. And I am happy to report that I have all the stories stitched together in the book. So that part is done. Uh, The book itself still needs a little bit of work. I have to work on the covers, um, creating the title page. I I just was working on the introduction. So stuff like that has to be done. And a few things that didn't quite make it in have to be plugged into place. But uh, we're awful close to this thing being launched. It's getting exciting.
1: Cool. Cool. Yeah. Probably like my bio and photo I didn't send to you till last night. That probably still has to go in yet. That that,
0: that actually is true. That still has to go in. You're right. (laughs) But thank you for sending it. (laughs) But yeah, that's that's the kind of thing because inevitably, you know, certain things just kind of don't make it at the right time. So I have to follow up. And, you know, that's part of the process. No problems. I just think it's exciting that we're this close because once. Once we get the book all really lined up, and, and of course I have to run it past all the authors first because they haven't seen it yet, um, and once they all give their okay and we're ready to go, then I have to actually go through the process on the Amazon websites for publishing the book, and then we have to get the uh, marketing out there too so we can have a launch date. But we're really close to having that launch date, so this is good.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, you've got... I mean, you've gotten a lot accomplished, but there's so much work that you've already done. I mean, I'm just impressed with, as you've been talking about all the different steps and stages, and now what you've just added, it's like, it's a lot to do a book. It is. It's a huge
0: project. It's a very large project. And, of course, you always have your schedule in mind, like I did. I I created, as you know, a very aggressive schedule, and this book was supposed to be launched by mid-March. But uh, that was a really aggressive schedule, and I knew it was. But I kept hoping anyway, and, you know, life got in the way, but, you know, life does that. Life gets in the way sometimes. So,
1: you know, okay,
0: so we get it done in May. That's all right. No big deal.
1: But, you know, your, your aggressive schedule taught me something about how if we put it out until June, it wouldn't get done until July or August.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> that's the way you life know? works. so it's yeah. like when, when there's a
1: tight <laughs> schedule, it's like everybody works as quickly as they can, and... Uh, you know, I, I've i always said this, and I don't know if this is a positive statement, negative, or just, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Um, it, everything always takes longer than you expect, and it costs more money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, right. That's like an old cliche or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah, the way it works. So. But the way I look at it is, I mean, I I don't ever treat deadlines as something that is difficult or that is overwhelming. If a deadline becomes overwhelming, then screw the deadline. Time to change the deadline. It's not a good deadline, but when the deadline helps to energize you, then I think it's a great deadline. And that's what I I wanted to accomplish by setting a, te- a tight deadline on the book. And I think that's what it accomplished. Um, I, I think Absolutely. actually people got excited about it. I mean, the, the authors as as they were writing their stuff and submitting it. I mean, within you know days of it, they were asking, "Well, did you receive it? What did you think?" You know, it's like all this really high level of excitement. And if we had scheduled the book out to be published in a year, I bet you I wouldn't have gotten that same level of excitement. I bet you it would have been, yeah, you know, when you get to it, no big deal.
1: <laughs> Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. And, you know, there's something within law of attraction to be said for intensity.
2: Oh, yes. And
1: having a lot of it close together because that's what keeps momentum in motion.
2: Very true. And so –
1: if you got a few people just kind of straggling in their chapters over the course of the next year, um, we really would lose momentum because there wouldn't be a whole lot of energy being placed on it from an attention perspective.
0: Yeah, that emotional intensity is really critical, isn't it? I mean, we keep, we keep running into that, that with is. every aspect of LA that we explore through the Abraham books and everything else. I mean, Project X, Project B, intensity of emotion is critical.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: So, well, so, speaking of Project X and Project maybe, B, anything
1: else on there? Do, oh, oh, go ahead. On. I was <laughs> say maybe without doing it consciously, you actually were uh, figuring in the momentum factor by having such an aggressive schedule. You know, and who knows? Maybe next time, instead of me freaking out like I did, like oh my <laughs> god, I don't know if I could do it to that quickly. Which, of course, I was one of the first people. You were, that stuff, which was so great.
0: Sicker. I love that. Um, <laughs>
1: I I will look at it very differently. And when I said you taught me something, I mean you really did, because looking at making everything happen sooner rather than later really does work on the side of momentum, which is so critical in manifesting something. So
0: it's true. Yeah. Well done. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, And I think you're right, actually. When I was first contemplating this, I mean, the idea literally came from you and Cindy because both of you had been involved in multi-author books that got published relatively around that same time period that you guys came on board. And mm. Cindy's was actually a little bit before that, I believe. But the point is, you guys told me about your experiences, and I thought, what a great idea that is. And the only thing I didn't like about it was that both of you told me it took over a year to do it, and I was saying, well, <laughs> you know, in, my, in my head, I'm thinking, that how do you keep the intensity up? Isn't that it? it, the, it doesn't the energy kind of like fall apart after a while? Especially if well, we're doing this for a law it of attraction did. thing. Oh, well, did it? Yeah. So when you when you did that well, book, you kind of lost the, the, the drive behind it by the time it published?
1: Yeah. Um, and it's like I had to re-engineer the excitement, which once I saw everybody marketing and putting stuff on social media, it was exciting. Um, but I have to say it was exciting for that day. Ah. Like the day that, because part of how you get something to number one right. is you purposely have everybody do their marketing campaign on the same day Mm. you know because how you get to be number one at least on amazon is how many sales are there on that particular day
2: right right exactly so
1: day two we may not have been number one but we were for that one day and we could claim it for that one day which means everybody has to put their energy and effort Together on one day mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of excitement pumping through all of us and even though at first I was kind of like uh-huh okay this is what I promised to do and I put out my first social media post then I started seeing all the other authors posts and I was linked and tagged on all of them so I started to see lots of them and then the excitement was really building
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but I'll say from the time that I was approached and asked to be a part of the book the beginning was very exciting because, first of all, it feels, you know, it's very honoring to have somebody request your writing. Um, so that felt nice. And then while I was working on the chapter, that felt really cool. Um, and then I knew that there were some delays. Uh, the publisher couldn't get as many authors right away as she thought, which is kind of what you expect, what you experienced as well. Yep. And so she pushed out the deadline for when I had to have it done, mm-hmm. which worked for me because I, you know, was having a hard time getting it all done, but I turned it in on time and it was supposed to be turned out like the book was going to be published the next month. Mm. And then when it wasn't and I hadn't heard anything, now I was getting concerned. Now, well, here's what's interesting. Now I was adding, if you will, some negative energy
2: Mm. to,
1: to the pile because now I was concerned what's going on. When is it going to happen? And so then the, you know, publisher said, oh, well, you know, things are going fine. It's just probably going to get pushed out a little bit. But there was no date as to when it was going to be pushed out. So a couple months later, I'm like, hey, what's up? I still haven't heard anything. Mm. And that whole process went on for practically a year.
0: Wow. Yeah.
2: That's
1: a long time. And so because of that, that wasn't a whole lot of excitement anymore. Mm -hmm. Now I was disappointed. I was discouraged. I was frustrated. You know, I'm like, hey, when somebody tells me something's going to be done by a certain time and I work really hard to meet the deadline, I have an expectation that they're going to fulfill their part of it with the timeline that was given.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so when it dragged on for a year, you know, that was like not great energy. And I'll tell you, even though we did go to number one internationally for that launch day, um, overall, I know we didn't sell many books. And gosh, I want to say now it's been pushed out till May before we receive our profit sharing, Mm. you know, where I think there's 20 authors and we'll share in the profits of the book, Yeah, but I don't, uh, you know, I would be shocked if it was anything even close to $10.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. You know,
1: because truly we didn't, we didn't continue the push to sell more. Mm -hmm. The publisher was on to the next thing and her next book. Um, And so for us, it was like a great experience to, you know, be able to say, hey, I have a number one bestseller book. But between you and me and everybody who's listening, that happened one day.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, um, I would like to see, I think a more fun number is how many books sold.
0: Oh, yeah, that's going to be really good. That's a big part of what I want to do, too, because really, this is about promoting the podcast. I mean, it's also about promoting the, the various practices of all the wonderful coaches who submitted their stories to the book and who are contributing to it because we want to help them as well. But really the the primary impetus is promoting the podcast and that means getting it in front of as many eyes as we can. So yeah, the distribution is really the most important part. I agree with you 100% about that.
1: Yeah, so I wanna see some big numbers and how many people are interested in receiving the book, you know, as well as how many um, listens Does our podcast increase by? Because people are energized by the inspiration they receive by reading the book.
0: Well, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, you never really know when you do something like this what the actual results going to be. But I'm very hopeful that people are going to be energized by it, particularly when I consider all of the energy and the time and effort that the authors put into their stories. Because you can tell, in in, in many cases, a lot of time and effort, a lot of thought was put into the stories. So... I mean, any time that you have stories that are real-life stories, that tell about true manifestation stories, that are essentially inspirational in their nature, that's got to be a good thing no matter how you slice it. And hopefully that that readers will find the stories to be entertaining as well. And if they're entertaining as well, we do have a chance. If that happens, if if people find that this is like a book they really like well enough that they want to tell their friends about, once you get that word of mouth going, almost anything could happen. So you you kind of have to put it out there and see what happens. And that's all we can really do. But I'm doing so with a great level of hope.
1: Well, yesterday I was watching a Super Soul Sunday that had Jack Canfield on. Oh, yeah. And there was some information about him I was not aware of. I mean, I know he's the author of the original Chicken Soup for the Soul book. Mm -hmm. But kind of like Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that they had anything in common because Colonel Sanders had tried so many different people to pick up his recipe and was getting no for a long time. But Jack Canfield, I think he said he went before, I think it was 12 publishers. Wow. And they all said no. And then he went to some, and I hope I'm getting the story right. He went to some book show and was like talking it up. I mean, there he was in person trying to like talk to people about the book. And he said most of them just didn't even want to take the time to look at it, let alone read it.
2: Mm. And mm-hmm.
1: then finally, he found somebody who said, "Well, that sounds interesting. I'm willing to read it." And he was like overjoyed; somebody was willing to sure. read the book. Oh yeah. Um, and so then the the um, editor got back to him and said, "Yes, you know, we'd like to publish this." And he said, "How many copies are you thinking of?" And uh, I think. Jack Canfield might have, I don't even know what number he said, but the editor was like, oh my goodness, no, we're only thinking of doing like 20,000 copies. Mm -hmm. And Jack Canfield's like, oh no, we want way bigger distribution.
2: Mm -hmm. And now
1: this is where the story falls apart for me because I can't remember how it happened.
2: (laughs) But somehow
1: Jack Canfield kind of took it upon himself and, you know, got much bigger numbers than that. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if that meant he self-published it or whatever, but I know from another uh, time I've seen Jack. Oh, you know what? I think it was from The Secret
2: mm-hmm. where
1: he talked about, you know, how he got it, uh, got more sold through another, you know, source. But bottom line, Jack Canfield has now done, I don't know if it's like 20 plus different books within that series. At least, yeah. Uh, they've now sold over 500 million. That number I have correct.
2: Mm-hmm over
1: 500 million copies of all their books have been sold. Right. And it got to a point where he said it wasn't fun to read the stories anymore. He wasn't inspired by inspiring stories and that's when he knew it was time to let go. Ah. And so he sold the entire Chicken Soup for the Soul series to some other some other entity or company in New York that's now actually, you know, managing that whole Chicken Soup for the Soul
2: Ah, and jack
1: moved on and he knew that his passion was teaching and that's what he wanted to do again so he's now teaching for large large crowds of people and um it inspired me i want to buy his book that now in it's 10th edition so i don't even know when it was first published but it's called the success principles
2: Mm.
1: and they're Mm. all very spiritual type principles and um you know he's obviously being part of the secret and he he he's also written a book on the law of attraction, and so
2: mm-hmm. I'm
1: like, yeah, I think I want to pick up some new information because yeah. he inspired me. Well, honestly, in The Secret, he didn't inspire me, but his interview with Oprah did. You know, probably because right place, right time, I was mm-hmm. ready to hear what he had to say.
0: I guess that's probably true. I mean, when I saw The Secret, he inspired me a lot, mainly because he was one of only two people that I I recognized. I recognized him, and I recognized Neil Donald Walsh. The rest of them I'd never heard of. you know. But Jack Canfield and Neil Donald Walsh, they at least had some credibility with me because I knew who they were. <laughs> so I paid, <laughs> I paid a lot of attention to what those two said. And yeah, you're right. He made reference in, in The Secret to how he was working with W. Clement Stone, who became a billionaire in the insurance industry. And in fact, I ended up working for a very brief time for one of Stone's companies called Combined Insurance when I lived very briefly out on the West Coast. So I knew about Stone. And so when I heard that that he had been a mentor of Jack Canfield, I thought, well, that gives me one more reason to listen to Jack Canfield. Because I, I didn't know. like everything about W. Clement Stone, but you know I held him in high enough esteem that you combine him with Jack Canfield. Okay, that's a pretty good combination for me. I'll listen to that. <laughs> and and Jack told a story about how Stone challenged him to uh, set a goal for himself, a monetary goal of, of income that was far beyond anything he could imagine, which of course is not necessarily the way it, it's always recommended to do. We haven't even recommended to do it that way. But nevertheless, that's the goal he he uh, uh, suggested, and so Jack, at the time, was making something like eight thousand dollars a year income. This is like early nineteen eighties, and mm-hmm. he set a goal of making a hundred thousand dollars that year. And in the movie, he describes how um, he had no idea how to make it, but he set the goal, and he make a, made made out a little check for himself. For uh, I guess he took a, a one dollar bill and turned it into a one hundred thousand dollar bill and pasted it to his ceiling above his bed. So every morning he'd wake up and he'd see that bill on on the ceiling to remind himself, oh, he's got one hundred thousand dollars coming to him. And then he had no particular insights that came for another month until one day he remembered he had that book that he had written that he was trying to find publishers for that no one would. I mean, I feel bad for those publishers who turned him down how stupid they were, <laughs> but the point is he had this book and he said, you know, if I could get 25 cents a copy out of every one of those books that I sell, this is back in the time when you know, prices were a lot lower, um, 25 cents a copy, if I sold 400,000 copies, I'd have $100,000. Now, the only problem with that theory is he had no idea how to sell 400,000 copies. He had no idea how to even get one printed, but it gave him a start. And, and then he, he continues to tell the story about how he met someone for the National Enquirer and he met a publisher and so forth. And then he ultimately gets the book published. And he says he didn't make $100,000. He made $92,350 that year. And, and I love
1: what he says next. He, what ahead. he says
0: next is, did you think I was depressed? I said, no, I was amazed.
1: I made
0: $92,000. I made $92,000. I made 11 times what I've
1: ever made before. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's when you, like, how can you get upset with not hitting your goal? You, you yes, yeah, right. not really care that you didn't hit your goal. You got so... You know, the whole idea was the goal is to get you moving in the right direction. And he sure
0: did. He sure did in a big way. Now, I I go through all that as a kind of a sideways way to suggest maybe I know who came in and provided some of the money for him. Because he had a co-author for that first book. And I don't remember what his co-author's name was, but he's listed on the original first edition. Mm -hmm. Maybe that co-author put up the money for the printing.
1: Yeah, I, I have no idea.
0: I don't know either, but that that's my speculation because I do know that on the second printing, they went through a regular publisher, and the publisher wrote them the, the um, royalty check for a million dollars. But what happened yeah. with the first print run? I don't know. It's an interesting question.
1: You know, and isn't it cool with technology being what it is, we're able to do our book oh, yeah. uh, through Amazon and there's not even a cost up front. That just blows my mind.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think it's a minimal cost. It's like 100 bucks or something like that. But, you know, it's well worth it.
1: <laughs> I didn't know that. I yeah. I it was totally...
0: No, I think there is a small cost. I, I don't remember exactly what the what the fee structure is. But you end up paying some money up front in order to get your book published.
1: But, but still, compared to what traditional oh, publishing gee. has been, holy yeah. cow.
0: Yeah. That's I mean, at the time, kind of that w- that, w- that would have been a gigantic... You know, he wanted to his publisher that he had first found wanted to publish twenty thousand copies back in the nineteen mm-hmm. eighties. I'll guess that that probably meant that he was laying out about fifty thousand dollars for the print. I mean, that's serious money, oh. especially back then, because fifty thousand was worth more than it is today. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: yeah. Good point. Yeah. So pretty big well, stuff. So
1: this this is kind of a nice segue into my Project X update. Yes. Um so over the weekend, I kind of hit this point of feeling—you know—frustrated is kind of a go-to emotion for me if I'm not in a great place. And I was feeling a little frustrated about Project X, and not to, not to the point that I was disappointed, but starting to be a little concerned. Like, is there something I've missed? Mm. Because I got to tell you, well, I really had an expectation that things would have been that momentum would have taken on. In a greater way for me and that i would continually feel like huge motion and it instead like this whole time it's been like what four months
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um it it has felt like stop start stop start and each time there's a stop i'm always checking in with my infinite being saying okay what's up is there something i need to do and you know i get insight and then i get excited again and you know, then then the excitement wanes and then I, I kind of go, hey, what's going on? And then I get some new vision and new ideas. And so it's been a mini, mini roller coaster for me, not a ma- major one, but just kind of a mini roller coaster. And I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday, but I just started to feel this sense of, did I make all this up? Now, I swear to God, I know I said these exact same words a couple months ago on another show. Mm mm-hmm. But it's where I hit the same point. Like, am I making this up? Am I really getting the guidance I think I am? Is this something that's really going to happen for me? What's what's going on? Because once again, I was kind of in that that trough of uh, well, in business it's called the trough of disillusionment. <laughs> <It's a laughs> and good it feels name. right to say that. Yeah, it's um, a good name. It just kind of felt like there was just nothing in big time motion. And I was talking this out with my friend, of course, Keisha, and she's like, well, "What about all those positive places you've been?" I said, "Well, they've all been real. That's the part that seems so odd. It's like the excitement has been real. I have I haven't been faking it. You know, I haven't been in denial and just trying to like cover up my disappointment with you know, or my doubts with excitement. No, the excitement is real. When I have shared it on the show, it has been absolutely genuine. And so I made a decision because, you know, I'd been on vacation all last week from work and here it was, you know, I think around Friday and I'm like, man, I don't have much time left before I go back to work where a lot of my mental time is obviously consumed with my job. And I'm like, okay, I made a decision. I'm going to get a breakthrough this weekend one way or another. I don't know how, but I'm going to get one. And I just started thinking in every conceivable way of how have I manifested things before? What questions did I ask? And I just kind of went through this myriad of so many different strategies. And I felt like, I mean, I worked myself to death on this on Saturday. And nothing was coming on Project X on Hmm. Saturday. However, I will tell you three other issues on completely other things in my life came to the forefront and i knocked those puppies out i think with this determination um that i had in me it's like it didn't work it didn't seem like i was getting any evidence of uh anything with project x but all these other things man i was getting huge awareness i found the you know energies that were just still active but from childhood and i cleared those up and it was like wow i was flying with excitement that i knocked out these other three things but then It was still like, yeah, but what's up with Project X? I am not seeing this income stream thing happening. Am I I supposed to be doing something? And like I said, I went back through all the different questions. Well, one of the things, I think you and I have talked about it pretty recently, um, where when you put, I think we talked about it on Friday, when you put out a goal and something you desire and you move your attention toward it, Oh, I know you asked the question on Friday, or you said something about, well, I want to go after resistance, pockets of resistance, and get rid of them.
2: Right, yes. And
1: I said, you don't really have to set your sights on doing it, because if you set your sight on what you desire, what doesn't match that, which is called resistance, will always come to the forefront. Right. And then you clear it, and then you keep moving forward until... Or unless you find another pocket of resistance, then you clear that one and you keep going until you manifest what you desire. Well, I can say this now in hindsight. That's what I had been experiencing the last couple days. I hit a huge pocket of resistance. And I didn't know what it was at the time. And that's why I just, it's like, that's why the excitement all of a sudden fizzled because I was hitting the wall. And so, yes, it was Saturday night.
0: Isn't that interesting, that too, about, about resistance? When you hit it, when you run into it, you don't recognize it instantly for what it is.
2: Mm-mm.
0: And and that I, I, I don't it. know how to emphasize how important that is. Very often, we run into resistance, and we don't know what it is, and so we start pointing at anything else, yep. because, because we're trying to explain <laughs> what's going on. And yep. it, it isn't until we can find some way to slow down and t- kind of take a step back and relax and calm our minds... That we can even entertain the idea of, gee, I wonder if it might be resistance.
1: Well, so what I did is I looked at, you know, some of the stories that I know I submitted for the book. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at how did I create those things in my life? Okay. What did I do?
2: Yep.
1: Well, two out of the three of them I happened when I didn't know law of attraction. And... Um, I used sheer determination. Mm-hmm. I set when I set my sights on something and I say, I'm going to make this happen one way or another, then I know I'm going to. And I recalled that in other times of my life, I would do that kind of thing. Like I remember one time I was working at um, this one job and I was just not having a good time with my boss. She and I were just like wrestling each other. And I knew I was just coming into understanding, not law of attraction, but I was learning NLP. And there's a whole lot of commonality between the two of them. And so I had a whole lot of tools on board. And I said, I I remember coming home to my husband. I said, okay, this issue is coming to an end. And when I go back to work on Monday, this will no longer be a problem. And he looked at me and I said, oh, yeah. If I have to sit, I had I called it my power chair. It was the place I would meditate and have great thoughts. If I have to sit in this power chair for for the next 48 hours, I'm going to do so because I am not going to work again until this is done. And I mean, I really meant it. And when wow. I get that, uh, I really go for it. So, I kind of did the same thing Friday night, and I said one way or another, I'm going to clear this puppy. I'm going to clear the energies. I'm going to do whatever it takes to move forward because. I, like this, it felt like a stalemate energy. Mm. Like I'm going forward, I'm going back. I'm going forward, I'm going back. And I'm like, no more. I'm done with this. So after I thought up every thought I could possibly think, thought every question I could possibly come up with, the one thing that was kind of bubbling to the surface was, I don't have a strong enough belief system to mm. support the financial income streams that I am desiring. So we know a couple shows ago, I talked about what had been coming to me was to set a goal for $30,000 a month, or possibly 50,000 or more. But, right. it, it, you know, I was shooting for $30,000 a month. Well, that far surpasses what my current income is at my job, which means there's going to have to be other sources for money to come in. Yep. And even though that's exciting to me and it's believable, now this is an interesting little distinction. That number is very believable to me. If you were to say, Wendy, how do you feel about making that much money, even though that's so much more than what you've ever made, I'd say, like, that's the right number. I know that's the right number. I'm not afraid of that number at all. Okay. But then, and this is the part where it seems like, do I really know what I'm talking about? But I do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a belief I don't have a belief in place to support that fully. Now why do I say fully? Well, because I really do believe that thirty thousand is the number that feels right to me because I had even said in the process I had started at twenty five. True. And something fell off. And when I asked what's what's up with that, I heard go higher. And when I said what about thirty thousand, it was like, Yes that landed, that felt so solid. Like, no, that's the right number to shoot for. But, you know, I'm moving forward and now I've bumped into resistance along my pathway. And so I went, okay, so I don't have a belief system to support me. Okay, so let's create one. So this is what I did on Saturday. So I ended up doing all these other things. I'm like, all right, so let's start with everything's always working out for me. Before you go there,
0: I I just want to say one thing. I am impressed that... The reaction you had instead of saying "I don't have this belief system in place, so I'm screwed. I'm giving up on this," you said, "I'm just going to create one." I wanted to commend you for that. That's a fantastic reaction. Thank you. <laughs> it is. That's I didn't really even good. Think
1: about it. That's just that's just me. If I don't have it, I'll create it.
0: <laughs> that's fantastic. So,
1: <laughs> thank you, Walt. I so appreciate your encouragement. Like you have no idea.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, the feeling is mutual.
1: So, thank you. So I went, uh, you know, I started out with what I call the old standbys. Everything's always working out for me. You know, Hey, my inner being is the one who gave me the number 30,000. So I know I'm not off there, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just came up with everything I could think of that felt positive. And every time I thought about it throughout Saturday, I kept regurgitating those same positive ideas. And I thought to myself, you know, I know what momentum feels like. And it's not coming. And I went, this is really unusual. Because normally, I mean, I've done it on the show. You give me a sentence or two to get rolling, and I'm off and running for the next 15 minutes creating a rampage on whatever subject we're talking about. That's right. Which is momentum sponsored by the law of attraction. (laughs) So in this case, I'm like, what's up? I'm not getting the desired result. I'm expecting momentum, and it is not showing up. So, again, I just went back to more questions, and I literally had to let go. And, oh, my gosh, this is so funny. I was listening to something the other day, and someone else talked about giving up. And I immediately ran for my little yellow sticky because what came to me was letting go is not giving up.
2: Ooh. They're
1: two very different things. Letting go is not giving up.
0: That's nice.
1: And what I knew I did on Saturday is I let go of my insistence on pushing to get the answers right then and there. But I was not giving up. I was letting go so I could like uh, re-ruffle my my feathers, you know, and like (laughs) put some air in there and chill out and just distract for a little while. But I did so with an intention that I'm going to move myself into a place where I can receive the answers that I'm seeking. Because right now, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm obviously not receiving any. I mean, I felt like my, my infinite being went on vacation. I mean, that's how quiet <laughs> oh, it got inside of me.
0: <laughs> it's almost like you want to, to knock on your chest. Like, hello, anybody in there? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so what does it mean when I'm not hearing? And I'm like, well, it means that I'm not in an energy. I'm not in a vibrational place to receive. And I mm. went, okay, then I need to like go do something else. So I did. And I guess it was Saturday night, before I was getting ready to go to sleep, um, the idea came to me, My something about my family, like what energies, what things does my family think about money? What did I grow up with? What ideas about income and jobs and whatever? And honestly, it felt really fuzzy, but it felt like the most cutting edge, that might be the wrong words, but... Like, I felt like I was sort of onto something. Okay. But I didn't have clarity about it. And so I went to sleep with the idea as I, you know, allow the resistances of the day to just fall away during my sleep, we'll see what happens tomorrow. So here it is, Sunday morning, my last fresh morning before I go back to work. Mm -hmm. And thank God the energies began to flow.
2: Oh, good.
1: And I will tell you, two solid hours lying in bed with my eyes closed. I got pictures, memories, words, song lyrics, um, little snippets from scripts that I know from television shows. I mean, like all this, uh, I know when people say, you know, when they, when they're about to die, their, their life flashes before them. Well, I now know what that would look like. Not that I was going to die, but like, I kept just seeing all these things. It was like a patchwork or a scrapbook of all these moments. Some were my past. Some was my family, my great aunt, my grandpa, my, my grandparents, my mom, my dad. Um, I mean, I was just seeing all these things, little episodes from, uh, snippets from Roseanne (laughs) songs from into the woods. I mean, so many things. Wow! And within this two hours after I had just this, huge amount of data flooding my brain. I said, what do these things have in common? Mm. And I I really believe my infinite being gave me that question because I was just like inundated with all these pictures and sounds and lyrics and whatnot. And I said, what do these things have in common? Because I feel like somebody is trying to get a message across to me
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: they don't speak English so they have to do it in pictures
2: or you know
1: in another another form what do they have in common and then words started to flow and i went oh all of the people are in a working class environment it's a they're the class of the workers they're the worker bees they're the blue collar um and i went wow what does that mean and i was kind of getting like People who, and I was thinking about the Roseanne show, which was one of my favorite shows, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. now that they've just done a reboot, you know, 20 years later, that they're, they're doing a new series. I watched the, like, the, not the premiere episode, but like the documentary episode where they talk about them starting a new thing. Okay. And they were talking about how what Roseanne wanted to bring to the forefront, and her original show was during the time of Cosby and things like that. She wanted to show. Real people in the working class that struggled with money and what happened when you don't have enough money or when you lose a job, you know. And of course, she did it through a comedic venue, but it was like I, it, I guess it had never dawned on me how her her show was really all about how do working class people deal with life. Okay. And so anyway, that because a lot of Roseanne episodes were going through my head but I was really seeing this prominent concept of the working class. And when I watched those episodes and when I think back to my family, there was always a ceiling. There was always a limit to how much money anyone ever made. And no one ever broke through that ceiling. And I just started thinking about that, like, oh, well, do I feel, because I'm part of that family structure, can I break through that ceiling? And there was a, not really, really You're part of this. Yeah. Wow. And I was getting more words like, you know, there's just a status quo. This is what we make. This, this is just how our life is. And I saw how my dad was always trying to break free from the status quo, but through so many different things going on, he never could get beyond where he was. He never got beyond, what his parents did. And I looked at like my mom's side of the family and both of her parents were work in the workforce, which, you know, even in that time period, that was common for only the husband to work. And yet both of my grandparents worked on both sides of my family. Wow. So we had two income earners on both sides of my family. That's the energy I grew up in that there's not enough unless a lot of people are working to bring in income. Because one job is not sufficient. And even with that one job, you can only make so much. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of recognizing oh, you know, I didn't know that I really believed that. Because part of me doesn't believe that. I believe that you can break through the glass ceiling, I believe you can do anything you want. Sure. But I was getting this awareness, Walt, and here's the pay dirt for me is that as much as I know what I know and I know what I believe, the reason I was going stop, start, stop, start is because there has been a very active and very present energy that I have lived within the confines of your working class, Wendy. There's not much further you can go be- beyond that. This is the energy you were born in. And not because anyone was telling it to me, it was like a pre programming, kind of like yeah. uh, I don't know if you don't want a car, there's like a rev limiter. You can only go so far. Mm hmm. And then you stall. And so I got excited when I got this information. Now, I know it may not sound like it's exciting because it's a a stopping point. But to me, I got excited because I finally understood something. I finally understood what this blockage has been and what this resistance has been. Sure. And what I know is if I can identify the problem, oh, I can find a solution. But it's really hard to find a solution when you haven't identified a problem.
0: This is true. Very true. And
1: so I I identified a huge area of non-motion. And so I started asking some new questions. And I went, okay, well, what do I do with this? And then I got this phrase, which is an Abraham phrase. I have what is itis. And I just started laughing.
0: What is itis? What is
1: itis? What is itis? Well, that's what Abraham talks about. We as humans, we like to pay such attention to what is. And if it's a negative thing, we don't turn in the direction of what we desire because we're so busy observing what is. Oh, okay. And they call it what is itis.
0: Got it. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Sure.
1: <laughs> so I thought about it and I went, yeah, that's it. I didn't realize it, but I was having what is itis. And that's what was kind of uh, prickling up against this huge excitement that I've had over these months of moving forward and making big sums of money and, you know, being free. It's like that's still all very real for me. But simultaneously, no one in my family has ever moved to the level that I'm about to move to. Mm -hmm. I don't have any models or mentors close at hand who have done what I'm about to do. And it has been much easier to look at what is and or to experience the energy, the vibration of what is than to really move forward in a way that could sustain me. Like, I have not been able to sustain the energy of where I'm wanting to go. And that's why I say it's been a mini roller coaster. The energy comes and it's exciting and it's real and it's authentic. But it doesn't last. And now I understand why. Mm
2: -hmm. Sure. Because
1: underneath it all, I had this what is itis of this model of the working class status quo, never break the glass ceiling. You can only make so much money. You have a limit.
0: Yeah, That was the word that kept going in my head, glass ceiling. That's what I kept thinking over and over again as you're telling the story.
1: And so then, you know, for me, it's never enough until it's enough. And I'm like, okay, is there anything else? This was an exciting bit of information. What else? And simultaneously, there was this other thing kind of going around. And this may not, it makes tons of sense to me because of how I grew up, okay, which I'll explain. Okay. But I felt like I needed to get God's permission or his sanctioning. Oh. For me to break through the glass ceiling and to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I went, where on earth does that come from? And I started thinking about so many things that ran rampant within my Christian upbringing and my family. We didn't, as a family, we didn't take one iota step in any direction without making sure God was signing off on it.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure.
1: We, I mean, I was raised to believe, not that my mom or dad ever said to do this, but this is how I interpreted the information. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just initiate an idea without bathing it in prayer and making sure that God really liked the idea. <laughs> or God had to initiate the idea. But in this case, my Project X, making big financial income streams way beyond what I've made in the past is my idea. And it's like, Oh, I'm kind of out there. Like no one's given me permission to do this thing. Can I really do this thing? Like what if nobody says I can do this thing? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that may seem really crazy, because it kind of even seems crazy to me, especially with all that I know about law of attraction says, if you have the desire for something, the universe has the wherewithal to deliver. I preach that stuff. I believe that with every ounce of my being. But there have been little hidden pockets of energy left over from my childhood, left over from my Christianity that have said, you can't go ahead and initiate an idea on your own. Not without God, the Christian God, telling you it's okay.
2: Well, it guess what? Tick. I'm not
1: a Christian anymore. I don't even have the Christian <laughs> God to give me that okayness. And if I need the Christian God to say it's okay, I'm really screwed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not at all surprising to me, though, that you have those resistances in you. I am convinced we all have them. And I, I am also convinced that the biggest thing that we have to do here on Earth, not I'm, I'm not saying that this is our purpose on Earth. I'm just saying it's one of the biggest tasks we have is to keep working on getting ourselves feeling good so that we can identify these little resistance pockets that are still hanging around and get them out of the way. So, you know, to me, the idea that you ran into another one is like, yeah, so what? That's nothing new there. But I can also see why, first of all, it was big because, like we said earlier, you really don't know that it's resistance when you run into it. It's just all of a sudden, you know, the voices stopped and and the confidence stopped. But even more than that, once you identified what it was, like you said, it sounds crazy. And, and most resistances do sound crazy. That's the nature <laughs> of them. That's why they're resistances. Resistance doesn't actually exactly. make any sense. Resistance is completely illogical, but we still hang on to it. And so, yeah, when we expose it, well, of course it sounds crazy, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. The, the, the crazy part would actually be continuing to hang on to it. That would be crazy. But you don't want to do that. You want to release it. So as far as I'm concerned, you're totally sane.
1: Thank you. And I, I'm not like in the finished stage right now because I recognize that there's the identifying of what's in the way. There's I, I have now acknowledged it. I recognize the, the the frivolity of the silliness of it. Like, I don't really believe any of that stuff. But the one thing that I know will sustain me moving forward so I won't slip back into those energies and reactivate them when I don't see, you know, like if I don't get like some big, you know, client who wants to pay me a gazillion dollars tomorrow, right. you know, and nothing's happening, it, it would be very easy to reactivate all this other stuff, sure. especially because it's now very um, present and current in my consciousness. The thing that's missing, but is on its way is what, to me, is like, what is the new belief? Mm. I know what the old beliefs were. I believed in the status quo. I believed that I was working class. I believed I couldn't break through the glass ceiling. I believed I need God or some big higher power to sanction what I want to do. Okay, that's what I believed, but I don't yet have a new belief that is bigger, better, better, that when that one comes through, that other stuff that I just said will be dwarfed it will seem so nonsensical that never again in a million years would I even think to reactivate it because this new truth that I have is huge. And that's the truth that's on its way. And I wasn't even going to share this today until I had the truth, but I went, no, I'm going to go ahead and do it and be very real and say, I'm not done yet. I'm going to keep going. But the next big something for me is what is it? I don't yet know that my infinite being does know. And that's why my infinite being has been able to hold on to, you know, the fulfillment of these huge income streams for me and is unwavering. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is yet, but when I do, woohoo! look out, the glass ceiling will be shattered forever.
0: There you go. Yeah. And what you're really talking about here is what is the new belief that's going to enable you to raise your energy back up, and stay in the place of believing that a previously unattainable goal is within your reach. Because that's what the thing is. We're talking about something that on many levels we believe is unattainable. And the reason Mm -hmm. it's so unattainable is because it's far beyond what we've ever achieved before. So, of course, it's unattainable, right? It can't possibly be done. Otherwise, I would have done it by now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so it must be unattainable. Well, it's funny because Walt, I picked up the Law of Attraction books that we've been working on, right? And I went into the uh, the back, and I just looked. I don't know if it's like an index, but I looked up the word belief. Oh, and sure enough, like about five, ten pages from where we are now, there was a section on belief. And Jerry had asked a question, and Abraham had answered it, and he was asking about quantum belief. At quantum leap. And Abraham was saying, yes, it's absolutely possible to do a quantum leap, Ah. using the example of the woman who needs to pick up a car in order to save her child from dying underneath a car. That's a quantum leap. (laughs) But It's more like the $6 million woman, but that's beside the point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But could the woman do it tomorrow when the child's not under the car? Probably not. And they talked about how quantum leaps are rarely sustainable. And that's why they recommend, you know, uh, small incremental shifts, because each time you make an incremental shift and hang out in that new place vibrationally, you settle into like a new set point or a new sustainable vibration. And so what's interesting is I looked at that and everything inside of me said, no, no, I'm going for the quantum, but I'm going for the quantum belief. And that's not the same thing as what they're talking about.
2: They're talking about a
1: quantum shift in like behavior. Okay. I want a quantum belief. And I've had these many, many times, which is is why I know this is doable. But when I get the belief that's just like what my infinite being is thinking and I hold that as my new truth, it does dwarf all other previous beliefs that no longer serve me. And I don't ever go backwards. And then that new belief is so powerful that then the next logical step is for the thing that I'm desire to just walk through the doors. And I have goosebumps, full body goosebumps as I say this, which is my sign that says my infinite being is saying right on. Well good. That's correct. So That's
0: good. Yeah, well it makes sense. I mean, it may not make sense from traditional logic point of view but from the point of view of a student of the law of attraction it makes total sense i mean you describe how you anticipate and expect that you're going to get a new belief that's going to dwarf all of the limiting resistant beliefs that have been hovering around inside your your sphere of thought and i i know what that is like i think we all recognize that that's literally a situation where you find this new thought on whatever the topic might be. It doesn't matter what the topic is. You come up with this new thought and you compare it to the old thoughts and you say, wow, they really don't compare. That's where one dwarfs the other because the exactly. new one is such a great thought that you just don't have any interest in even looking at the old thought anymore. Now, the 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 trip lines happen, the, the, the trip wires happen when we get to a new thought and then some other form of resistance that we hadn't occurred, that hadn't occurred to us to look at yet, didn't even know that they were, that it was there, shows up, and now all of a sudden, this new level of belief we've 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 set up for ourselves is challenged. And during that challenge, what happens is we end up taking our attention away from this thing that we're believing because a belief is a thought we keep thinking over and over again. We take our attention away and we stop thinking it. And in the process of stopping thinking it, we go over to this craziness that's over here that's been buried for the longest time and is now starting to emerge and say, wow, there's some craziness over there. And you know what? As I continue to focus on that craziness, that craziness is getting bigger. It's getting so big that it's dwarfing my dream. What's going on here?
1: (laughs) Well, the only thing I would shift in that analogy is that when I get a, a powerful belief that dwarfs all others, that belief in itself doesn't change for me. There may be another set of beliefs that are uh, running concurrently that have not yet been addressed, but it will require a new belief in addition to the other ones. So you segment them. Yeah,
0: you're segmenting them into separate categories, which is fine.
2: That works. Yeah,
1: because like if there's if there's let's say uh, ten different pockets of resistance keeping anybody from getting to their goal, well, you work on each one of them at a time, Mm -hmm. and so. Once one of them has been handled by a new belief, that new belief still stands. It's just that there may be nine other new beliefs that need to be created.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It, it's kind yeah. of like what I ran into as I started doing my mirror work. And that mirror work has shown me that as I continue to focus on what it was that I wanted, which was to, to build up my self-esteem and to love myself and to express you know, how, how proud I am of myself and just do all this positive talking to myself. As I went through that process, on a day-to-day basis, I would have plenty of opportunities to counteract that, to contradict it even. And over time, the more that I stuck with the mirror work, the less power each one of those things had, even though I was not really good necessarily at making an effort during the day to push those things aside or to dismiss them or dwarf them or whatever it was. Just the fact that I was doing the mirror work was changing my orientation. Changing it and changing it and changing it until finally they went quiet. And that was the part that really surprised me. They actually went completely quiet. They kept getting softer and softer and softer and softer.
1: And you're talking about the negative self-talk. The negative self-talk,
0: yeah. It was all getting softer until it finally went quiet. I don't think that's any really different. From what you describe, when you say you get this this new belief that dwarfs the old beliefs, it, the, the method may be different, the the way it plays out may be slightly different, but I think it's the same process going on.
1: Yeah, I agree, I agree, and not that one is better than the other. No, nope. uh, I work really well with big, powerful stuff. That has always been my way of doing things. Like when I was married, my husband would say to me, "Wendy, do you ever notice that you work really good with big chunks of money?" <laughs>
2: I remember you said and that. And
1: then I've realized that has mapped over into everything. I like a big challenge. I like a big powerful belief. I like big sums of money. I mean, I do really well when I'm working with things that are really big. Which is the whole concept of, you know, small incremental steps drove me crazy. I'm okay with them now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I can understand but that too.
1: I was I was trying to do stuff with small this weekend. And I just was sensing small is not going to cut it, not for me because of who I am. But when I brought up big determination and I said, I'm going to get this answer this weekend, I'm blowing through this, this weekend. It's like there's something that comes up inside of me that is a really, it's a force to be reckoned with. And I even, like, I didn't threaten my inner being, but I, I hope kind not. Of came close. <laughs> I came really close. You did really? I just said, for everything that is holy, everything that I believe, I truly believe that if I come up with this sense of de- commitment and determination, you will deliver. <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of a threat. But then I laughed because I went, I'm only threatening myself. My inner being is me. I can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I knew at the beginning of my week off from work, I was going to power through some stuff in a major way. And I have to say that I'm delighted at the results because I've gotten so many different pieces of understanding and awareness. And um, this one is big, even though I'm not to the end of it. I feel a sense of incredible hopefulness because I got this insight of what beliefs were that have been limiting to me and like I said they're, they're kind of stupid to me now but I want something big to replace them because that's what I've always done when I work with clients with myself it's one thing to identify a negative belief but you've got to replace it with something because nature abhors the vacuum that's true yeah. and if there's this negative space those uh icky energies will just creep them creep themselves right back in
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, what you really did is you reached a milestone is what you did. I mean, we don't necessarily think of a a resistance as a milestone, but it is. And so is the milestone of getting past it and basically letting it go and releasing it. That's a huge milestone. It's not one we're normally, you know, conditioned to think about as a milestone. But it is because it's one less thing between you and your goal. So it's a huge thing. And I I don't think we should underestimate that in any way.
1: And I know that one of the things that I'm really an expert at when I work with clients is I can find and identify the limiting belief. That's my strength. That's my gift. And I went, Wendy, this is what you do. Do it for yourself. <laughs> there you go. Said, oh, yeah. How do I do it for myself?
0: <laughs> and unfortunately, we're going to have to wait till tomorrow to find out what that answer might be because we're completely out of time. But Wendy, it's been great. And I can't wait to hear what tomorrow's report's going to be.
1: Me too. <laughs> I wonder if I should threaten my inner being for the, the new powerful belief by tomorrow.
0: Well, maybe get a good well, nudge. I but anyway, you, I you, our listeners are going to have to tune in next time to find out. And we hope you do tune in next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.
1: Bye-bye now.